0: And welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. We're going to hear a quick message and then we're going to come right back and dive right on into the show. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Okay, so welcome back again. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on uh, WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston, Bostonian rap. You can catch me either on the radio or on television. In fact, you can catch me on television this week, this Friday at seven o'clock. So I hope you're able to tune in. So, on tonight's show, we're going to talk about common sense. Generosity and politics. So, regular listeners um, will know that I've spent the last few weeks talking about the mood, the mood, the tone of the political arena, and me explaining how the social climate, that talking about the social climate, talking about different social phenomena is important because sooner or later, what's happening in you know in our everyday lives trends phenomena it's going to seep into politics so we've seen that so let's let's first talk about common sense so some people would define it as because what I'm going to talk about actually is is a tremendous lack of common sense in politics and, and everywhere else. Um, but common sense, most people would, would define it as kind of some kind of intuitive knowledge, right? Something that is just, it so very much stands to reason that it's not something that we would necessarily doubt or try to debate or refute and we would just naturally do or say other people you know if they've maybe uh studied sociology uh maybe biology but more maybe sociology um of course there is um a discipline that kind of splices the two disciplines, sociology and biology, and just kind of mushes them together, which I actually think is incredibly cool. Uh, But that's another discussion for another time. Um, You know, someone might say that it's a type of intelligence. But however you want to define it, it's something that I think that we all would say is something that allows us to operate as a society with not as much stress as we otherwise would have. Um, it's something that facilitates getting things done. And some people might even argue that it's, in some respects, the glue or <laughs> are, are part of the glue that kind of holds everything together. But I find that today people have an incredible lack of common sense, and just speaking broadly, you know, well outside the political arena, you have instances where people, if it's not something that they were told, if it isn't something that's written down that they can find on page 60 or 14 of whatever book, they they can't really... Uh, tell you the answer if you have a query. They they can't really solve a problem if there is in fact one, and and that I find that very frustrating. So it's it's okay. Here is a problem. Here is a question. A uh, question problem, um, and then people can't really they, they just they simply can't speak to it again if it requires something other than step one, two, and three. And I always, or increasingly, you know, as I've noticed this behavior, you know, I say to myself, well, I mean, would it be that much more effort or how much more effort would it actually entail just to maybe pick up the phone and ask somebody or hop on the computer a couple of clicks or just take a moment or two and just think, but we're not told how to think. We're told what to think. And so we're making a tremendously big deal about what's happening in the schools. And I've consistently said that, I mean, this isn't just something that I've hopped on, right? It's not something that I've pounced upon. I've long thought that what is happening in our schools is an issue. And so let me explain myself. It's, you know, for those who might not listen to me on a regular basis, for me, it's very much become not every school, but a lot of schools, including right here in Massachusetts, you're being taught what to think. And I find that the older children get, uh, the more politicized it becomes in the classroom. And I think that. There's nothing wrong with older children, you know, like we're talking mid to late teens, knowing about the politics, to a certain extent, of their instructors, of their teachers. But those politics should not prevent the teacher, the teachers from doing their jobs. And I think that in a number of cases... That's exactly what's happening. And I find that there's not really an emphasis on critical thinking. And ironically, the people who have the least use for it talk about it and how important it is. And they'll point to what they're doing as an example of critical thinking when in fact it's not. So critical thinking, you know, that involves looking at an issue from different possible angles. Critical thinking involves entertaining the ideas of other people. Critical thinking involves asking yourself about the ideals that you hold dear, the ideas that you've embraced and upon which you base your behavior. That This is all critical thinking. And so I just... It doesn't seem to really have much of a place in our educational system, and and I find that disturbing. Now, don't get me wrong, I do find that, or I do believe that there are a number of good educators out there, administrators and teachers, Um, and then we have paraprofessionals who are, I think, an essential element to a number of different classrooms in which they're present. Having said that, there is still this problem where we have ideolo- ideology, different ideologies creeping in to places of learning. And I and I think it's inappropriate. I do. Um, I think that again, children sh- um, from all ages, they need to be encouraged to think for themselves. Now, obviously, there are certain concepts, there are certain ideas, there are rules, depending upon the different disciplines that must be learned, right? But there has to be space for an individual, for a child, to develop a set of skills that allow him or her to evaluate contemplate and consider different situations and different facts and different events. And when I say different facts, I mean in so far as what does this mean for the present? What will this mean for the future? What did it mean if we're talking about something that is dated from, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, hundred years ago. but what did it mean for then? That's that's what I mean. But again, I I, I find that um, there have been a lot of instances in which we stray from this formula. And I think that as we've strayed from a formula where, we encourage and we teach how to think, not what to think, but how to think. And we've kind of loosened up on the need for our children to be able to read and write and add and subtract and multiply and divide. We see the results when we listen to the younger generations talk and speak, uh, talk, uh, when they act, Um when they do attempt to think, uh, when they're in the workplace, we see the consequences, and, and there are consequences, and they're not—they're not positive ones. So, to get back to this whole idea about common sense, so you know, more more specifically to, to politics, uh, I think that. We just don't have a lot of it. And so we see it present, as I said, in the younger generations. But I find it in some ways more alarmingly present in older generations. Like I'm Generation X. I'm 50. And when I see people my age or a little younger or older, and they're just not using their noggin or they just don't know how to, it, it it concerns me. So kind of to take away from this segment, as I've consistently said, there is an issue with what's being taught in our schools. And I can go into further detail, but for me, the biggest thing, the most alarming thing at the outset is that our children, and I can't reiterate this enough, they're being told what to think as opposed to how to think, right? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm never going to argue to the contrary. I mean, I've also said that some of what my party is saying uh, in the state of Massachusetts about what's happening in schools, it's, I I, I take issue with um but, I, but I've talked about that in other shows, um, you know, the veracity of some of the allegations that have been put forth. Um, but for me, it's it's about producing children who will later be adults who can be productive, innovative members of society. And I think that the best way to do it is that f- formula that I referred to? How to think, and the basics, you know, like reading, writing, math, sciences, history, you know, geography. It's that that solid educational foundation. Now, to move into to move slide right uh, once again into. What I want to delve into more into in tonight's show about the common sense aspect of it all, I would say that again, the shift in the educational system from or the straying from from this formula, um it's it's producing. It's, it's producing uh, young adults who are not as effective in their different tasks, in their different jobs, as they could be. But I feel in some ways, as I said, that for people my age, a little younger or, or older, I find that it's more serious of an issue because most of us did go to school when the things that I enumerated were important and were basically the paradigm, regardless of the school that you went to. I mean, of course, there've always been some schools that were lacking in resources. Uh, you know, some places where the educators were better than others, but there was this idea, there was this paradigm. And now I, I'm not so sure, but The point being is when you have, the point is when you have people who have grown up with this model of education, and instead they're eschewing it for this emotion over facts, uh, feelings over facts. Want want to be uh, beliefs that, you know, people want to cling to versus the truth that's just right there that should be or is in everybody's face. And, and I've talked about that in particular on the last few shows where you have the truth and people, for some inexplicable reason, refuse to accept it. And so they just say things and it's like, but how could you say that? It's not even true. That's not even remotely true. Where did you get that? It's like, so you have people who are just shouting into the abyss. And and I guess it's some way that's supposed to make it true? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, you, you know, you, ha- you have to have common sense right? So I started off with a definition, and then I, I went to kind of a, maybe a looser definition that most people can coalesce around. I don't see a lot of common sense in politics. Another word that I would use is pragmatism. I think that that's related and I think that Boston, and actually Massachusetts in general, is this this wonderful land, if you will, of of pragmatism. It's it's where everything, it, it you know, everything has its place or should have its place, and there are not any really aha moments. So there shouldn't be because. This is how it should be. Right? I mean, of course. Why would it be any other way? And I feel like personally, so I've I've shared that I'm a conservative Republican and I and I think that that's important. I I've had some people say, "Well, why do you say that?" And I think that it's important because we don't really have too many I mean, speaking of representation, right, Uh, you know, we're always talking about representation. Uh, I think it's important that people of all ages can see people like them or hear people like them. I think it's important for people to know that there are people who have beliefs along my lines. They don't have to be the exact same beliefs, but beliefs that are similar and that we're active members of society. We show up for community meetings. Uh, We go to parades. Uh, We testify at school committee meetings. Uh, We vote. Uh, We like this candidate. We support that one. Uh, We... We just we're active and we're engaged. we're present, we exist. I think that that's important. so that's why I say that. And I also do it to to counter this ridiculous narrative of how the, if you're a Republican or if you're a conservative, you're just you're far right and you're extreme and you and, and, and you just you're disconnected and you're. Th- th- I mean, quite frankly, you know, this is an overwhelmingly democratic state, an overwhelmingly democratic city. And I find a lot of Democrats that are disconnected, uh, particularly the ones on the far left. Now, I've been equally upfront about saying that most of my heroes, political heroes, are actually Democrats. And... You know, I come from a family of Democrats. Oh, it's mixed. It's mixed. It's mixed. Uh, there's some conservatives in there uh, that you know may pull a Republican ballot. Um, there's a Republican here. There's, there's I mean, there's, there's you know, there's conservatives. There's liberals. There's Republican. There's Democrat. There's, there's a nice mix in terms of um, where people are on the political spectrum. And then also uh, party affiliation. So I would say there's a bit of a mix. Um, but certainly, um, you know, the Democrat Party is is well represented in my family. And that's fine. Um, again, uh, my political heroes are, most of them are Democrats. Um, I don't know if they would be accepted or respected as Democrats today. But, but uh, there you go. But when I say that, um, I, I find that, you know, there, there are a number of Democrats who are just, are you know, there's a disconnect between them and reality. I say that because, well, <laughs> it's it's overwhelmingly Democrat in this state. And so there's necessarily a number of people that you can pick from, you know, whether it's municipal or, or state or federal uh, level. Um, but, I find that the 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 people who are the most disconnected, where there's this biggest dissociation, if you will, between reality and and the worlds in which they live, I find it to be the extremes on both sides of the political spectrum. So I can actually talk to a lot of Democrats who are um, they're wonderful. They're fantastic. And, you can have a good conversation with them. You can have common ground. And they're, they're working really hard and they're trying to do a lot of good things. And while Republicans aren't um, as numerous, to say the least, uh, you know, there are, there are some and uh, they're working very hard as well. And they're actually, um, they're making, I think, a big difference. I really, truly believe that. I see it. I feel it. Uh, and, and the Commonwealth is better for having their contribution uh, in, the, in the political arena because it provides somewhat of a balance. We need much more of a balance, but it, it is a sort of balance, right? Uh, we're, we're, it's just the reality is we're very much outnumbered. Uh, Democrat, to, you know, much m- many more Democrats than Republicans. Um, so... Yeah, there are a number of Democrats that are disconnected, but I think most of them are on the far left. And I think the Republicans that are the most disconnected are on the far right. Um, And and that's not really a surprise because um, you find people in the extremes and they have their ideas and they're just like, oh, those are my ideas. And it's they're not really willing to listen to other people. And when you're not really willing to listen to other people, it's really hard to learn anything. And when you're convinced that only you drink from the goblet of truth, (laughs) it's really hard to, uh, you know, enter any kind of uh, collaborative uh, relationship with anybody to get anything done. It's it's just doesn't really happen. Um, So. So let me talk about uh, those extremes. Let me talk about some of those extremes. Uh, I can start with the political right. Let's be fair. So. Again, it's. I'm I'm going to why don't I speak broadly? (laughs) We'll we'll play a, who is it? Um, I think that there are a few Republican candidates, uh, statewide candidates, and I think that one in particular, (laughs) um, I think that there's a a gross misunderstanding of, of what the office that is being sought um, of, of the offices that are being sought, what the, the responsibilities of those offices entail. And I think that it's—that it, that critical lack of information, it's, it's hard to make up for that or paper over that. So talking about hot-button issues, particularly if they're not relevant to the office— That you're seeking, it's, it makes someone say, well, what are you, what are you running for? Like, why are you running? And someone might also, you know, I mean, listening to me, someone might say, well, how does this relate to common sense? Well, for me, this, this, (laughs) this is part of common sense. It's, you can't stand up to run for an office if you don't know what the duties of that office what the duties are you you just can't i mean you're wasting everybody's time you you've got to be able to at least present a platform that's that's so important and i would think that that's common sense and you know, I started off by talking about, am um, my political side of the aisle, you know, Republicans, the right, although you have some Democrats that lean right. But generally, when we talk about the right, of course, we're talking about Republicans. Um, so, you know, I talk about the right and not even necessarily in every instance, because I'm thinking of different people. And, and not not everyone is necessarily, you know, on the extreme right But, I mean, it's – it's. but, you know, you have the right and then the extreme right. And and I just – again, I would say that, you know, there are a number of people and I just – they – I don't know why they're running. You can't run for an office if you don't have the relevant experience, if you can't explain how the experience that you do have would allow you to do the job that you're seeking. I mean, it's – because – you you, it, you are job hunting but it, a particular job and it depends upon the majority of the votes, right um, you know unless of course we're talking about uh, you know the president <laughs> of the United States you know, and and then that's kind of a a, a, di- a different a different uh, case. Uh, you have you know electoral co- college um, and that's uh, that's a whole. That's, that's a completely other uh, subject and uh, topic for another show because, you know, a lot of people want to maybe abolish the Electoral College. Um, but, but you do have the Electoral College, and then, of course, you have the popular vote. But, you know, insofar as what I'm trying to discuss and, and kind of unpack— it's, he, you know, it's it's based on, you know, the number of people that vote for you versus the number of people who vote for your opponent. And I just, I don't understand how people are running without at all being able to speak to the responsibilities of the job. I, I find, I, I mean, for me, that's actually... It, to me, it's it's common sense. It's like, how could you do that? Um, but it also, in some instances, even begs, you know, like, is this begs a question? Like, is, are we talking about even an ethical an, a violation of ethics? Because it's you know, why exactly are you running? You you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what the job entails. And, of course, we do see that on the political left, too. But, um, I mean, just the way it is in this part of the country, in this state, uh, in this city, in the city of Boston, uh, people on the left can get away, unfortunately, although it's no better than, than what I just described on the right because it's the same thing. You have people on the left who, who don't know what they're doing either. Uh, Julia Mejia, Um, (laughs) I I don't want to mention too many names, but I I have to, I'll mention her and I'll explain why. Because recently, uh, just the other day or yesterday or sometime maybe even today, she tweeted, it was within the last two or three days, I believe, she tweeted something. uh, It was in support of Ricardo Arroyo, who is running for um, the DA of Suffolk County. And, of course, he's trying to challenge um, Kevin Hayden, who was appointed to the position and who is then, of course, uh, you know, running uh, for a full term. So anyway, the, the, the point is, is that Julia tweeted something, Julia, Boston City Council Julia Mejia tweeted something about how she entered into she entered City Hall with zero experience in government. And so, I mean, I get it. Sometimes, you know, when you enter into a political position, sometimes it's it's not such a bad thing. Not coming from a political background, it provides you you well. You have fresh fresh set of eyes. You have a perspective that that may be very much needed at a particular point in time, but. With Julie Mejia, I just I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to really kind of talk too much about Julia on this show, but I I don't know really what she's doing most of the time. Um, it's it's like she thinks being Boston a Boston city councilor is uh, a ceremonial position that it's about pulling looks. Uh, it's I mean I guess at one point and I. I hadn't known this, but someone uh, shared that she was, uh, I guess, a VJ on MTV. And I feel like she kind of still is. And it's... All right, if you don't really know what the job entails, I mean, just kind of sit down and think. Like, what would be appropriate as a city council? What would make sense to say and do what you know how to you know just how to operate how to function and i'm not seeing that i'm i'm just seeing her just acting as if she's like this little i don't know celebrity or <laughs> or like i said like a, some kind of uh MTV vj and let me because uh, I don't want to <laughs> talk the whole show about uh, Julia Mejia and uh, and um, what it is she's doing or what it is I think she's doing, but I'm not entirely sure because I don't think she knows what she's doing. Um, you know, then there's uh, the issue with the bicycles. Now, someone might be listening and, and saying, well, what issue is there with the bicycles? Well, let me tell you, there's an issue with the bicycles. <laughs> I, let me first and foremost say, I think riding your bicycle is an excellent form of exercise. It's very fun. Um, it's a wonderful, fabulous way to get around. Um, it can be a terrific way to explore a particular geographical space. In some places, it's a great way to go to school, get to school, get to work. And I think I've shared on this show that I lived for a couple of years in one of Boston's sister cities, uh, Strasbourg, in France, and La France. <laughs> and when I lived in Strasbourg, I rode a bicycle. Now, let me tell you, in Skarsbourg, Strasbourg, Strasbourg, um, there is a wonderful infrastructure for bicycles. So it's a city where you can both walk because of the size. You can walk, but you can also ride your bicycle. And it's really, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's wonderful. Boston, we don't have that layout. So when I say that Boston isn't a bicycle city, it's not because it's too small. It's because of its layout. You know that we have a lot of one-way streets. Um, some of our streets are narrow. It's it's just it's it's just the layout of the city, and so in some parts of the city, riding your bicycle um, is feasible. But in other parts, I quite frankly think it's it's a bit dangerous. I really seriously do, and and I laugh not because I think it's funny. But I laugh really kind of out of frustration and even a little bit of anger because I'm like, please stop pushing bicycles. Again, I think that we have pathways in the city. We have green spaces where riding bicycles is a wonderful idea. And again, I'm very pro-bike, but... Boston is not Strasbourg you know it's not Strasbourg it's 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 it has it's 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 mapped out differently okay it was it was designed differently and so you know in a lot of instances, We don't have protected bike lanes. And just the fact that I'm saying over here protected bike lanes, if I were in Skazburg, I can tell you that I wouldn't be talking about protected bike lanes because you just say bike lanes. It goes without saying that they have to be protected, okay? Here, people decided that riding your bicycles was a wonderful idea. Um, And again, it is, but it's not a wonderful idea to get around the entirety of the city. It's not how Boston's built, okay? So in some areas you can enjoy riding your bicycle. It's a you know, it's a very pleasant experience, but when you have an instance where bicycles are riding with cars, like literally in the same lane, I think that's tremendously unsafe and you're inviting you're inviting accidents. You're 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 tempting fate. You're it's it's like you're saying, okay, come on, let's see what's going to happen. I mean, why would you do that? It, I mean, Boston is is incredible. It's an it's an amazing city for walking. Okay, we're known as a walking city. And and bicycles, they can have their place too. But you know, we have these bicycles. We have these scooters. You know, you have people. You have the kids on the skateboards. You have you know, every so often you see the pe- people on roller skates and it's just, it's become like too much. Um, but it's really bicycles that are being pushed. and it's, They're being pushed by Michelle Wu. Now, very recently she rode to work with, um, I guess, you know, I, I, some of them were city hall <laughs> staff. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to trust that, some of the people that were riding with riding with her, there were you know there was a group. Um, some of them might have been you know her neighbors, but uh, but the fact remains, riding your bicycle, depending on where you live for Boston, it's not the best idea. And at, and 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 as it is, you have now people increasingly. I said Boston's a wonderful walking seat, but even that now (laughs) is in is in peril to a certain extent because you have all these people trying to ride their bicycles. And so what a lot of people do, because it isn't safe to ride on all the streets, you have people on their bicycles getting up on their sidewalk on the sidewalks. So then that creates issues for pedestrians. And it was within the last like two years. Within the last like year, year and a half, I actually had an accident. So there was a guy who got on the sidewalk with his bike because it wasn't safe on the street. He obviously didn't feel safe on the street. And there was uh, some black ice. And so I kind of jumped to avoid getting hit by him. And then I slipped on the ice and then I had a lovely black and blue <laughs> mark on my leg so you can imagine that I wasn't too happy but you know this is where but to get back to the con- uh, to the point about common sense this is where common sense comes in you, I'm all for look this isn't about being anti-Michelle Wu but Michelle Wu she can be as innovative as she wants but in order to be innovative, you got to understand what you're dealing with and what you have first. And she's not trying to be innovative or be, you know, this isn't about bold vision. She's just trying, she's just seeing what's being done elsewhere. Oh, that looks cool. Someone said this to her. That sounds cool. And so then she's just trying to incorporate it here into Boston. And, you know, if there are any growing pains or if there are any serious setbacks or if people all have legitimate concerns, it's about Boston being stodgy, you know, Bostonians not wanting to see change. Well, you know what? Bostonians don't want, many of us don't want to see change, I'll be honest. Having said that, if you make the argument and it's rooted in pragmatism, Okay, an idea might take some time before it sees the light of day. But if it's rooted in pragmatism, and if the author of the idea understands what Boston is and how it's built, okay. But that's not what I'm seeing here. And the bicycles are just one idea. There's just one idea. Let me talk about another idea. And I brought this up on the August fifth uh, show that I had on Bostonian Rap, but it was in on the tele, uh, on television. And I think that you know people have talked a lot about housing and the you know the community that's struggling with substance abuse addicts. And I think that it's wrong to conflate homelessness, you know, people who are homeless because they're struggling with substance abuse and people who can't keep up with the cost of living. And for me, that's common sense. But it's just like, it's like common sense has left the building. It's left the building. It's hopped into a car. It's driven to the airport. It's hopped on a plane. It's left and it's gone off on vacation for however long. I mean, I'm just you. You can't. Boston is Boston is one of the most expensive rental markets in the nation. So for a long time, we were stuck at three. I think we might be four now. But three, four, that's really not, It's you know, it's not much of a difference, right? Uh, it's very expensive to live in my hometown. I love my hometown dearly. Um, but, it, you know, you have to work hard and you have to be smart with your money. that That's, that's the bottom line. Uh, unless you make a whole lot of money, you have to, I, I think it's important to work hard and be smart with your money. And this idea that homelessness is, is an issue that's unique to people who are struggling with substance abuse, it, that should, that's a very much a disconnect from where I'm sitting. Because if you have a place where it's so expensive to live, you can't talk about affordable housing, talk about that incessantly. And then say, oh, well, we're doing something about homelessness. And then you what you cite as progress. is pretty much centered around. The community. Where drug abuse is rife. You, you just you it, it, that that doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes, you know, there is talk about affordable housing that in in there, there's talk about uh, connecting people with, with the resources that they need. And, and, and we're just talking about people who don't necessarily make a lot of money and, and, you know, what they're making doesn't allow them to keep up with the cost of living. So every so often you hear about something being good in that being something positive happening in that area. Um, But there's not enough of it, and certainly not enough to say, look, there's progress being made, really. So it's, I mean, if we're going to have a conversation, let's just sit down and think a little. I mean, it's people, and and not everyone who's struggling with substance abuse is homeless. Not everyone, believe it or not, as bad as it is down methadone Mile for instance not everyone down there is necessarily not everyone is necessarily without a home so i mean all right most of them i would say probably are but you know it's not necessarily everybody and so i think that if you're going to have a conversation around a subject that is so important i think that you really got to look at it from all angles and so you have to say okay look We have a housing problem because for a few reasons. So let's just 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 like just like step way, 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 way back. And let's just look at this problem as if we're just kind of looking at it from like we're up way high and we're looking at it from down below. Okay, it's down below. All right. So we have a housing problem. All right. Why is that? Well, because there are a lot of people who want to live in Boston because it's a very desirable place to live, notwithstanding the the growing number of problems. Um, but, you know, it's a desirable place to live. So we have an issue with housing. Um, some, we have to look at the different factors that drive that. One of the factors is we have a lot of colleges here, which is, both are our hallmark. Um, what brings tremendous money into the city, but at the same time, we have students that are displacing families. All right, and so we can talk about their different reasons why we have a housing problem. And then, once we finish talking about that, then we have to say, well, we have a housing problem, but then we have. housing from, from, you know, like people cannot find, so they have to leave the city. Then you have homelessness. So you got to necessarily talk about that. That's part of the conversation. That's when you start to broaden it. And people are homeless for different reasons. You have, yes, you have the community that is struggling with addiction. But in a place like Boston, that's so expensive. It's because a lot of people can't keep up with the cost of living and the exorbitant rents. It's just too much, and so and even the the population that we generally hear need, you know, oh this this group they need affordable housing. So we're not talking about the group that is struggling with uh, substance abuse that are not addicts. So we're talking about people who are just working, 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 but they can't keep up with the cost of living. But even there, people just don't get it right. They don't just sit down and think and use their heads. There's no common sense. There's a complete disconnect from reality. Because if you want to know what the reality is, there are a lot of people who are making like, 50, 60, 70 grand, and they're struggling to live in Boston, and they only have themselves to take care of. It's an expensive city. And so when we talk about affordable housing, we can't just throw these terms out. We have to think about what they mean. And certainly, you know, if we're going to talk about finding housing for addicts that are homeless, okay, but then that's we can't conflate that, as I said earlier, with people who are unable to keep up with the cost of living because it's just so darn high. So these are just instances where common sense is just not common. People don't sit down and, and, and think about the entirety of an issue. They don't spend time talking to other people. They don't spend time in the communities where the people are. And it's just, it's tremendously frustrating for me. It really is, because how can you be an effective public servant if you don't know what you're talking about, if you're incapable of thinking, if there's a disconnect, if there's a disassociation between you and the constituency that you're supposed to be representing? That makes no sense to me. So... (laughs) I'm going to uh, take a quick break from all that ranting. I'm going to go to a break, which is a little bit later tonight. But, you know, it's it's still a break nonetheless. Um, Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about generosity. I do want to get in something about generosity. That'll be the last few minutes of the show. And we'll talk more about that on um, the show next week. But first, let's go to that quick break. If you are struggling to afford internet service for your household, there is a new government program that may be able to help. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it provides up to a $30 monthly discount to qualifying households. Find more information about the program, including if you qualify, and how to enroll at FCC.gov ACP, or call toll-free at 877-384-2575. That's 877-384-2575. And what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Wrap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You've been listening to me ranting <laughs> this whole show on LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So before I went on a quick break, uh, again, a little bit later than usual, but as I said, a break nonetheless. Uh, I was talking about common sense and politics and how there really isn't too much of that Um, people are not looking at a problem from all its different angles. Um, They're not interacting with other people. And they're not interacting, most importantly, above all, with the people who are impacted by the problems. And that I find disturbing. And so there's just this real inability to think things through and to think, period. But I also wanted to talk about generosity. So I gave a rough you know, a general uh, definition of common sense. I suppose I should do the same thing for in our last like five minutes of the show. <laughs> uh, as I'm talking about generosity, what is generosity? And it's this it's it's the idea of of giving without, not necessarily given without limit. Um, but given in a way that shows magnanimity, uh, it's 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 giving in a way um, that, for me, shows compassion, thoughtfulness, empathy, and or sympathy. So I f- and respect respect. Yeah, it's given in a way that shows respect. So I find that in politics, um, I think that this is throughout Massachusetts, uh, certainly throughout Boston, unfortunately, right now, and maybe even you know nationwide, but I find that people want to be known. They want to be celebrities. They want to be feted. They want to be applauded, but they don't want to do any work. And so what a lot of people do is they rely upon the ideas of other people to buoy them up. And if you're going to do that, then you really need to give people credit. And I can give a quick example. I, you know, a few years ago, I was able to with the help of Boston City Councilor Michael Flaherty, 2016, I was able to um, have him introduce uh, an order for a hearing on the Sister Cities program. At the time, the Sister Cities program was shoehorned under um, special events and tourism. And so I testified before the Boston City Council that It should be its own program that the website, which had been pretty much dated from the 90s and it very much looked like it, uh, it needed to be updated, very much revamped uh, so that it would be easy on the eye and that it would explain what the Sister City program is. I talked about how it was an idea of President Eisenhower and it was concocted to Bring together different peoples and cultures so that the horrors that we saw in World War II would not happen again. And it was meant to encourage cha- exchanges of different kinds. They could be cultural, they could be educational, they could be medical, they could be business. But it was really, again, at the foundation to really kind of bring people from different parts of the world together. And this particular program, I'm not looking to disparage um, the late Mayor Menino, but it he had other priorities. So I'm being diplomatic. He had other priorities. Um, under Walsh, uh, the program expanded, which was great. But, you know, a lot of the things that I said and a lot of the things that I, you know, did to, to kind of push – the Sister Cities program, into the spotlight, um, you know, they were adopted, they were accepted, but I wasn't given credit. And it's not about, look what I did, I want credit. No, it's it's just about basic respect. And I think that if you're someone involved with politics and you're doing good things, then I think that it's not going to cost you anything to look at someone else and say quietly, thank you, thank you for caring, thank you for your work, thank you for your idea. We need more of that in politics, and we don't have that. We have too many people who want to be stars, and we don't have people who want to be servants. So we have public servants, but they don't want to be servants, they want to be stars. And I'll talk more about that, as I said, on uh, next week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman. That was you know, a quick example, but like as I, as I said, I'll talk about that more um, because it is a subject that bear, uh, that deserves more attention. You've been listening to me on Bostonian Wrap. Um, thank you so much, and I look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion...